In all my years in ministry, I have never met anybody who did not understand that receiving and giving forgiveness is one of the major tenets of the Christian faith. I've just never met anybody who said to me, forgiveness? Now, what is that? Never met that kind of person. But I met scores of people who have said to me, I know that Jesus forgave my sins when I repented, but I'm having a hard time accepting this. I have met scores of people who have said to me, I know I'm supposed to forgive this person because Jesus forgave me, but I'm having a hard time forgiving that person. Now, I've met lots of people with that problem. So the problem is not understanding intellectually or believing the importance of forgiveness. No, 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 no. The problem is how to accept and receive forgiveness. Even the New Age and secular preachers, you hear them on public television telling people forgiveness is good for your health, thinking that forgiveness is like sort of a supplement that you take every day and it's going to make you feel good. Well, that's easily said than done. It's a way, I guess, of appealing to our self-interest. But the Bible makes it very clear that receiving and giving forgiveness is only possible in the context of the unconditional forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ for every repentant sinner who comes to accept that his death on the cross is a payment for their wages of sin. The Bible compels us that if we are forgiven and if we experience the forgiveness of God, we have no other option but to forgive every repentant person when they come to us. And today I'm going to see, we're going to see how forgiveness is the third secret for positive living. We have begun a series of messages entitled, The 15 Secrets for Positive Living. Not positive thinking, because we saw that positive thinking is only temporary. Positive thinking is something you have to work hard at. But positive living is what God developed in you and within you. And we're looking at these secrets of positive living from the life of the Apostle Paul. We saw the very first secret for positive living is that grasping and practicing day in and day out the inflow-outflow equation. Then we saw the second secret for positive living, according to the Apostle Paul, is clinging daily on the deposit, that precious deposit. And that deposit is not a percentage of the sum, but the whole sum. And here today, we're going to look at the third in the list of 15 secrets for positive living, and it's to do with forgiveness. And all of these Secrets, all those 15 things that we see in the Scripture, they all come from 2 Corinthians. So please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. In the beginning of that passage, the Apostle Paul gives us seven vitally important reasons. And then he goes on to give us the most exciting visual image, probably for me, in the whole Bible of how we can practice forgiveness. I can't wait to get to it. So I want you to look at reason number one. I want you to look at verse five. Forgiveness empowers us to defeat pride. 
That's reason number one. Beloved, listen to me. One of the main reasons we refuse to forgive someone is pride. Because pride makes us nourish our self-pity. Pride makes us espouse our self-protection. Pride always wants us to retaliate. Pride always wants us to hit back. And the Apostle Paul said, I refuse to do that. So what's the problem? What is the problem that Paul talking about in forgiveness here? Well, one of the members of the church in Corinth assaulted the Apostle Paul, most likely verbal assault, not physical assault. This person assaulted Paul publicly and said whatever he said about him. And then he repented. And Paul said, that's enough for me. The man repented. I forgive him. But then there were some people in the church in Corinth whom I call Paul's groupies. And uh, Paul groupies said, you can't forgive him so quickly like that. (laughs) He has not suffered enough. He has not groveled enough. He's got to eat some more dirt first. And Paul said, don't do that. I am neither bitter nor angry. I am neither bitter nor resentful. I have forgiven him. If the person's repent, he is completely forgiven as far as I'm concerned. Now listen to me, beloved friends. Positive living has no room for holding on to past hurts or holding on to past offenses or holding on to past sins or holding on to past strife. And that is why the Apostle Paul here in verse 5 said, I will not, I refuse to carry bitterness. I refuse to let bitterness steal my joy. I refuse to let bitterness render me ineffective for the work of the Lord. So, reason number one, defeating pride. Secondly, reason number two, the reason for forgiveness is showing mercy. Look at verse 6, showing mercy. The punishment that was inflicted upon the offender, as far as Paul was concerned, is enough. It was enough. In other words, he's saying, don't go after the pound of flesh. Show mercy. God show mercy toward you. You show mercy toward that person. Third reason for forgiving a repentant person is the restoration of joy. Look at verse 7. Paul is telling the Corinthians that to refuse to forgive a repentant person is a sin that will steal your joy. To refuse to forgive a repentant person is a sin that will hinder you from worshiping God freely. Jesus said when you go to the temple to offer your sacrifice and you remember that somebody has a grudge against you, said, leave it there. Go and take care of that. Then come back for effective worship. To refuse to forgive a repentant person is a sin, for it causes that person to keep on wallowing in his sin, to keep on drowning in his sin. But God's purpose for forgiveness is joy to for everybody, the forgiver and the forgiven. Reason number four, Paul said, regaining love. Verse 8, at its very core, unforgiveness is lack of love. It's just that simple. An unloving person is an unforgiving person. A loving person is a forgiving person. I want you to hear me right on this one. 
Without real and genuine love, a home can be torn apart. A friendship can be destroyed. A working relationship can be unbearable. A church can be fragmented. And Paul said, I refuse to live this kind of negative torment. Reason number five. He said, because forgiveness is a test of obedience. Look at verse 9. It's a test of obedience. Because God commands us to forgive a repentant person, therefore to withhold forgiveness from a repentant person is an act of disobedience to God. Listen carefully, please. That does not mean that God winks at sin. Not at all. That does not mean that God wants sin to go unconfessed, unrepented of. No, 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 no. But once sin is confessed, once sin is repented of, forgiveness must follow. Or else you are putting yourself above God. Think about this for a long time. Reason number six, maintaining unity. Look at verse 10. I don't know how many times that I have underlined in my Bible, both Old and New Testament, of the incredible blessings that God says is associated with, is connected with, is in relationship with unity. It's right there. When David prayed, how beautiful it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity, there is the blessing. And you go straight through the Scripture. It is there. It is very clear. The Bible tells us those certain blessings can only come to you and they can only come to me when there is unity. Unforgiveness hinders that unity. And lack of unity is going to make you to miss out on the blessings that God can only give you when there is unity. And this unity can be a unity between husband and wife. This unity can be a unity between believers. And that is why, in fact, in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter there talking about this unity between the husband and wife, and then he goes on to say, lest your prayers be hindered. What does it mean? That there are certain answers to prayer that you're waiting for, but God is waiting for you to develop a unity in your home. Reason number seven, to thwart Satan. And you find that in verse 11, 2 Corinthians 2, 11. I don't need to tell you, I don't need to remind you even, that Satan's plan for those who love the Lord is very different from the plan that God has for His children. It's very different. He has a very different agenda for the individual Christian, for the Christian home, for the Christian church, for any community that is operating in the name of Christ. God wants His children to be humble. He wants them to be merciful. He wants them to be joyful. He wants them to be loving. He wants them to be obedient. Satan's agenda is the exact opposite. He wants the children of God to be cantankerous all the time. (laughs) He wants them angry. He wants them merciless. He wants them to be disobedient people. And when you and I refuse to forgive a repentant person, we are literally playing into Satan's hands. That's what Paul is saying here. To refuse forgiveness, to withhold forgiveness, is literally helping Satan, helping him to do what? 
helping him to devastate the individual Christian, helping him to destroy a Christian home, helping him to destroy a relationship, helping him to destroy a church. An unforgiving spirit plays right into Satan's hand. And that is why the Apostle Paul said, we are not ignorant of his schemes. We know what he's up to. We're not fools, and we're not going to let him. Forgiveness blesses the one who does the forgiving. Forgiveness blesses the one who receives forgiveness. Forgiveness blesses the home in which forgiveness is practiced. Forgiveness blesses a church in which forgiveness is practiced. And Satan does not want to have you be blessed. I don't want you to miss that. Paul goes immediately, without even taking a breath, after he said what he said about forgiveness, literally, he couldn't even take a breath, and then he shouts. You say, how do I know that? Well, how do you know in English? You put exclamation point, and you know somebody's shouting, right, or trying to make the point. That's it. It's the same here in those words. Verses 14 and 15. I want you to look at them carefully. Literally, the apostle Paul is yelling as he says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in a triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. You will never understand those verses until you really understand what Paul has in mind about this triumphal procession. And what Paul has in mind here in those two verses, three verses, is the Roman triumphal procession. As you know, Rome conquered the world and developed this big empire. But every time one of their generals goes to a certain area of the world and he conquers that area of the world, then he comes back to the city of Rome, he's always given a triumphal procession. And that is the picture that Paul has here when he talks about thanks be to God for he has given us, for he continuously or always leads us in a triumphal procession. This is how the, I wish you can visualize how it was in the city of Rome, right there in the main road. There on the side, there is a platform, there's the reviewing stand, and the emperor is sitting there on his throne. And he's watching this parade going in front of him. And this is how it would go. First, you get the officials, the government officials. You get the members of the Roman Senate. They will be the first ones to to come marching down. And they are followed by the trumpeters. Then they are followed by people who are carrying pictures and carvings of the land that were just being conquered. Right after that, they're followed by a white bull that is going on for slaughter. At the end of the procession, they're going to have the celebration and slaughter that white bull. Then comes the captive princes and leaders and generals from the conquered land. They are in chains. They are walking like this. They can't keep up with the parade. And they are marching. They are already in the parade, but they are marching toward their certain death. And then 
they are followed by the lectors with their rods. Then they are followed by the musicians. Then they are followed by the priests who are swinging their censers with incense, producing beautiful aroma in that main street of Rome. Next come the very most important part of the whole procession. There comes the general, the conquering general, the conquering hero. He would be standing in a chariot that is pulled by four horses, and there he will be standing there holding in his hand an ivory scepter with the Roman eagle on its top. And on his head there is the crown of Jupiter that is held there on his head by a slave. And after the general passes in that parade, he immediately is followed by his family. His family comes right after him. And immediately after the family, there is all of the soldiers and the officers who have fought and won for the generals. They are in that procession. I'm getting ready to shout because I know what I'm going to say. <laughs> because there, as this parade starts going down, crowds are possibly ten deep on this end and ten deep on that end. The crowd throwing flowers and they're throwing garlands. And as those soldiers march and they step on those flowers and garlands, beautiful aroma fills the air mixed with the incense that was burnt by the priests. And the whole atmosphere is filled with that beautiful aroma. And the vast crowd would be cheering. The conquering soldiers would be saying, La triomphe, la triomphe. The triumph, the triumph. And the crowd would be cheering them on and cheering them on. And this is the picture. I did not do a good job. I wish I could be more graphic than I have been, but I tried the best I can. This is the picture that the Apostle Paul has in mind when he comes in those verses and he yells out, he said, but thanks be to God who is always, always, always leading us in this triumphal procession. He visualizes the victorious Lord Jesus Christ marching in an unstoppable triumphal procession throughout the world. And right behind him are all the faithful Christian soldiers, those who have fought the spiritual battles against sin and Satan, those who have triumphant and triumphantly marching behind their commander-in-chief. And Paul is saying, here is this, when you visualize that every moment of every day, when you visualize that in every waking moment in the life of every believer, that you are in a procession, in a triumphal procession, when you visualize that you are marching behind your command in chief, when you visualize that you are victorious over sin and Satan, day in and day out, you will find it easy to forgive a repentant person who asks you for his or her forgiveness, a person who might have hated you, a person who might have hurt you. When you visualize this, you're going to find it easy to experience positive living. 
Amen belongs here. I haven't got going yet. I've just started. I mean, I had a one-man revival as I was going through this passage all by myself. Because I want to tell you what that means. It means that when you get up in the morning and you're feeling lousy and gunky, (laughs) you have to say to yourself today, I am in a triumphal procession behind my victorious General Jesus. When sickness and disease threaten to undo you and get you down, you have to say to yourself, I am in a triumphal procession marching behind my victorious General Jesus. When you face problems that threaten to crush you, you have to say to yourself, I am today marching in a victorious procession behind my victorious General Jesus. When somebody at work making your life miserable and you feel like you don't want to go to work today, you have to say to yourself, I am marching today in this victorious procession, in this triumphal procession behind my victorious General Jesus. When bullies at school, whether it be teachers or students, try because they're jealous of your righteousness and they try to make your life miserable, you have to say to yourself, today I am marching in a triumphal procession behind my victorious General Jesus. When difficult people and difficult problems and difficult circumstances seem to stick to you, you have to say to yourself, I am marching in a procession, victorious procession, behind my victorious General Jesus. When Satan tries to remind you of your past sins, sins of which you have repented long time ago, you have to remind him that this day you are marching in a triumphal procession behind your victorious General Jesus. When you ask someone to forgive you, but they refuse to forgive you, you need to remind yourself that today you are marching in a triumphal procession right behind your victorious General Jesus. When you know that you have forgiven someone but still don't feel that you have forgiven them, you have to remind yourself that you are marching in this triumphal procession right behind your victorious General Jesus. You When darkness seems to be engulfing you, when you feel that you are facing bleak future, when fear grips your heart, when guilt threatens to crush you, shout with the Apostle Paul and say, but thanks be to God, for He always, always, how many times that? Always, how many times? Always, always, always leads us in a triumphal procession. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said to the Colossians in 2.15. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he had made public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What else do you want? My friend, if you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as the only Savior for your soul, and is the only Lord of your life. You are not only more than conquerors, you are heirs, 
fellow heirs with Christ. And so, who and what are these spoils that are carried in that procession? Listen to me very carefully. This is the most important part of the whole message. What are these spoils that, that are in the procession? They are the ones whom you and you and you and you have helped to rescue from hell to heaven, from death to life, from darkness to light. That's who they are. What about the sweet aroma? That's the result of you forgiving a repentant sinner, a repentant person who hurt you. That's this beautiful smell that comes into the nostrils of God. That is the fruit of showing others that is only one way to heaven, is only one way to God, is only one way to spend eternity in heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. What about the stench of death? I wept when I was alone, and I'm weeping right now. Every time I thought about the stench of death. They are the ones who refused again and again to believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Just as these captured enemies, generals and princes and leaders are marching in the same parade, but they are marching to the certain death, so are those who refuse to believe are marching too. Those who refuse to repent and receive forgiveness from the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have refused to repent and humble themselves before Christ, those who have thought that all religions are the same, those who said that all the ways will lead to God, they will be marching too, but into certain eternal death. The stench of death. They'll be marching, but into eternal torment. Those who have misled people and told them that there is salvation apart from Jesus Christ, those who have watered down the gospel, those who have whittled away the gospel, those who preached false gospels, they are all marching too, but only to their eternal death, and that is why they are the stench of death. They refuse to hear us. They refuse to respond. Oh, so many of them may look beautiful. So many of them may be dressed in very expensive clothes. Oh, so many of them are going to be loved and adored by their fans. So many of them are rich and famous. So many of them, the world speaks well of them. Oh, yes, but not to God, my beloved friends. Not to God. To God, they stink because they're heading for eternal destruction. You know, when you begin reading this passage, you begin with verse 5, you cannot help but notice that Paul was discouraged. He really was. You read it in his tone of voice. 
He began with discouragement. He, he, he's feeling the sin and the pain of others, and, and he really was discouraged. But then he begins with discouragement over the believers who refuse to forgive. But as soon as he focuses on the privilege instead of the problem, he immediately, as if he's pulled by his bootstraps all the way to heaven, and he said, but thanks be to God who is always leading us in a triumphal procession. Now, I don't know about you. Listen to me. I'm getting ready to close. This is the most important part of the message because that's when the Holy Spirit speaking to each one of you and speaking to all of us. I don't know about you. I don't know where you are. In fact, you're the only one who know where you are. Whether you are full of pride or you are totally broken, whether you are a person who's full of self or you're totally surrendered, whether you are a person who's full of self-confidence or have no confidence at all, whether you are a forgiving, loving, merciful, and obedient child, or your heart is hardened with bitterness and anger and disappointments. Only you know. But I can tell you this, wherever you are, whatever is weighing you down today, whatever's stopping you from living the positive life, today you can begin to visualize that you are in a triumphal procession. You are in a triumphal procession right now. This very moment, you might be sitting down, but you are in a triumphal procession. Every moment of every hour and every hour of every day and every day of every week and every week of every month and every month of every year, you are in a triumphal procession. Visualize that. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.